Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Tavern Adjacent. Thank you so much for joining me today on our freeform podcast where I do my best to stay on track while talking about Dungeons and Dragons, mostly. Today, we've got a pretty interesting list of topics. We're going to be talking about Critical Core Roll's Mighty Nine Reunion. We're going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3 and all of the announcements at the Game Awards that went down there. We got a release date and everything, which is really cool. And of course, I'm going to be taking your voicemails so I can hear about your horror stories and help you guys out with those. Timestamps are in the description. Without further ado, let's get started. So we're going to be starting off, we're going to be starting off with a little bit of Critical Role talk because I want to talk about Critical Role's Mighty Nine Reunion because I was really curious as to how this would go. Like, I had full faith that Matt was going to provide a really good, you know, little special episode where the Mighty Nine come back together. But honestly, I didn't really know what it would entail because Critical Role is such a long-form storytelling. Like, the, the stories that Critical Role tells are really long. Like, it's infamous for having tons of episodes so I was really curious like how how is Matt going to do a reunion story for the Mighty Nine and do it within a a uh, a good time scale in only two episodes because even Exandria Unlimited like I think Calamity had like five episodes or six episodes or something like that correct me in the comments if I'm wrong but you know that is longer than two clearly and I was curious how Matt would handle this situation especially since we haven't seen these characters in such a long time now first and foremost I was not surprised to see and I was happy to see that this special was clearly intended for people who had seen campaign two I was kind of worried that they'd you know, try to retread old ground to introduce these these characters to people who started at Campaign 3, because I know a lot of people started Critical Role with Campaign 3 and have never met the Mighty Nine before. And I was worried that this episode or these episodes would waste time yodeling about, you know, reintroducing these characters, which obviously that's necessary, but with only two episodes on the docket, I think that, you know, reintroducing these characters and spending too much time retreading old ground would result in a worse product or not product. I mean, it's a YouTube, it's a, it's a YouTube video such as Twitch stream, but you know, just a worse, um, quality of show overall, because again, only got two episodes and you can't really waste any time. But luckily, that's not what happened. When, you know, when I saw the episode, I was happy to see that this is clearly intended for people who know who these characters are because that's who's tuning in to see a Mighty Nine reunion, people who care about the Mighty Nine. And damn, I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised by how engaged I got. One thing I've noticed, because I've finally started watching Critical Role live because I've always watched it, you know, on the VOD. Watching it live is so much better. Like, I enjoy it so much more because when I'm watching on the VOD, I'm fairly certain I know what's going to happen. I have, there's no tension to, I have no tension. Like, I am not tense at all while watching Critical Role on the VOD because I'm pretty sure everyone's going to make it out. And obviously there are, there are situations and there are moments that surprise me and make me go, oh, damn, that was epic. That was cool. But they're fewer and farther between them when I'm watching it live. When I'm watching it live, it can get really freaking intense. Like, I saw a bunch of Campaign 3 live, and I was, like, jumping out of my seat. I was freaking out. It was so, so good. Like, I was actually cheering at how do you want to do this and stuff because it actually felt way more impactful knowing that this is happening, or at least that the episode is premiering right now at this moment. It's just so, so cool. 
And that has carried over into Campaign 2's reunion, the Mighty Nine's reunion. Watching the Mighty Nine live, watching all these epic events come out live was really cool. The plot itself, I thought, was also really good. You know, Matt build up... Uh, sorry, <laughs> words are hard. Um, Matt, Mr. Mercer built up this epic story of Ukatoa, and it really didn't get resolved in Campaign 2, which was the obvious direction that this was going to go. Like, I called Ukatoa being the bad guy, like, the moment they were they were speculating that the Mighty Nine would return, the moment they were, like, foreshadowing, I should say, the Mighty Nine would return, I was calling Ukatoa as the bad guy, because that was the obvious next step for the campaign, since Ukatoa was never really addressed in Campaign 2, beyond, like, I honestly think... I don't remember, ever, I think Avantika came back as like an ice zombie, and I think that was it. So obviously Ukatoa is still a presence, and I was really hoping for his return in this special, and I was not disappointed. He made a big presence, and I thought it was really cool. I thought Ukatoa was a nice bad guy. I am a tad disappointed that Ukatoa isn't really the Lovecraftian baddie I was hoping for. He really is a tangible threat, much like... um. Nazoth in World of Warcraft, like, you know, you expect this big, unstoppable, you know, untenable to oppose entity, but then, you know, you get there and it's, you know, it's a raid boss. You know, it's it's a hard raid boss, but it's still a raid boss that you can absolutely fight and absolutely kill, and the, and the horror of the unknown is definitely lost there. But still, I mean, not everything needs to be Lovecraftian horror. Some things just need to be an epic fight, and this absolutely was. And that brings me to, like, the main thing I was super happy with with Mighty Nine Reunion and this new Critical Role, you know, these two Critical Role episodes. It really brought me back to campaign... Ooh, I almost knocked over my shelf. It really brought me back to campaign one. It really brought me back to that era of big, epic, larger-than-life imaginary set pieces. Campaign one had some crazy stuff that I don't think was ever really replicated in Campaign 2 or Campaign 3. Not to dog those campaigns, all of them are good in their own way, but a big part of what made Campaign 1 special for me was how insane some of these battles got. I mean, fighting a conclave of four ancient dragons is crazy, and even though they took them on one at a time, each individual fight was just absolutely crazy. I mean, even the fights during the Chroma Conclave arc were just insane. Grog fighting his uncle in the kill box while the Mighty Nine take on the entirety of the, horde, the, the herd of the storm, I think they were called, and Grog bisecting his uncle, like, in twain. Epic. Epic, epic, epic. And I, I never felt like those... Well, not to say those moments were absent from Campaign 2 and Campaign 3, they absolutely are present there, but not nearly as common, and not nearly to the scale that we see of, for example, the Might, uh, not Might 9, Vox Machina taking on Vecna at the top of a titan at the, the summit of Tharamphala with him in his gargantuan, epic, godly form, you know? We never really got that sort of thing in the other camp, we don't get those that sort of campaign. That ugh, words are hard. We don't get that sort of thing in the other campaigns, which is okay. They are aiming for a smaller scale, but here we get that scale back because Ukatoa is this giant, you know, titanic sea serpent. You know, its its form coiling through the waves and the mighty nine taking it on on the open sea. Amazing. Like, this whole thing was absolutely amazing to watch. And I'm actually kind of bummed out because when I was watching it live, uh, Matt cut to break, and I ended up uh, going to just do some work. Like, I had work to do. I had a video to work on. So I was like, All right, I'll go to work. I'll come back, and we can see this battle. And 
an hour later, I remember, oh, shit, I was watching Critical Role. I completely forgot. I come back and the fight's like halfway done. But, you know, still watching. I'm so happy. I'm so, so, so happy that I caught the how do you want to do this? The final kill of Ukatoa. Well, they didn't kill him, but, you know, the final blow against his physical form. It was so so damn cool. Not final fluffer nutter. I have never cheered more at a crow. Okay, maybe that's not true, but I was freaking out. That was so awesome to see. And it really showcases what to me makes Critical Role so special. I feel like the cast has a really damn good memory. Like they remember their gags. They remember what means something to the audience. They remember their best moments and they make sure to bring those back in a tasteful way while also playing into the set pieces that Matt is creating for the cast. Overall, I'm I'm really doing my best not to, you know, go in depth on every single moment. I know I'm talking a lot about the final battle, I'm talking a lot about the setup, but those are the things that just really really impressed me. I mean, Critical Role is always good. Like I don't think that's a controversial statement. I think it's a good show. <laughs> it's a really good show, and I expect it to be a good show. You know, I expect Critical Role to have this kind of quality of D&D live gameplay to to engage me like this. But, you know, I think that overall, this these two episodes, they went above and beyond. I was more than engaged. I was like, I was really into what's going on here, even though I didn't really know what to expect. Like, again, going into it, there was a part of me that was kind of skeptical about what was going to go down here. I thought that it was going to just be like, like a whatever, kind of one-off, and just be completely disposable. But it was not disposable in any way. There was some really cool stuff in here that I might take for my own campaign. I mean, an epic battle at sea against a titanic Kraken-esque sea serpent. I mean, that's nothing, you know, that's nothing that is new to fiction, but it's still super cool. And more importantly, it's super hard to pull off in D&D and seeing it get pulled off here, amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Seeing the Mighty Nine in this, I mean, I don't know if this is their final form. We might see another reunion, who knows. But seeing the Mighty Nine at level 18, at this power level, taking on this threat, so awesome. Seeing them come back together, seeing these characters again, I mean, I haven't really gone over it, but yeah, seeing these characters again was just, I think it was it was more than a novelty. I thought it would be a novelty, but I kind of forgot how much I liked the Mighty Nine. I forgot how much I liked Jester and Ford and all the whole crew. Like seeing them back together like this is really cool. Although I I am reminisce. I do I do miss my uh, asexual icon Caduceus Clay, who did not make an appearance here. But that's okay. That's all right. His presence was still felt through the Wild Mother and her power. And also Kingsley was a welcome presence. Taliesin basically got to play Molly Mock at his final form, which was awesome. Obviously, Kingsley and Molly Mock are different people, but you get the point, right? Like, seeing him be able to play this character, even in this form, was just a really nice, like, round circle moment. And seeing this final victory, seeing the characters come together and just beat the shit out of Ukatoa was just so damn cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was really good as a as a show. As a D&D campaign that you can learn from, it's very theatric. You know, Matt clearly had a lot planned for this, and obviously it has to be more direct. Oh my god. Just going to scoot over here. But yeah, Matt clearly has to be a little bit more direct with this campaign. Or not this campaign, but these two episodes. He has to be more direct because we only have two episodes. It's similar to what I say when I'm running my mini campaigns, obviously at a much smaller scale. But 
Matt has to be, yeah, again, like, I don't want to say railroad you because that has a really negative connotation. But, I mean, in all honesty, yeah, he's got to keep him on the rail, so to speak, because, again, again, we only have two episodes and things need to get done. So, obviously, this is very directed. Um, is that a direction that you should take your campaigns in? I don't know. I can be pretty direct with my campaigns. I always tell my players that my exploration pillar is at a minimum, especially during my recorded games for YouTube and such. Like, I'm recording another campaign right now. And I told the players, like, open up. Like, hey, we're not going to be doing a lot of exploration here. This adventure is going to be very directed. And they were okay with that. And they were down for that. But the reason I told them that was because it's true. You know, at these during these mini-campaigns, I have to be more direct in order to make the campaign move forward. And that obviously is going to make your session more efficient. Now, should you do that outside of like recording a, a video for YouTube? I don't know. I think it's honestly a completely valid way to play the game as long as your players are down for it. My home game is also pretty direct, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And here we see it at its basically maximum apex. You know, Matt's direct, definitely directing the game in a very forward way, but it doesn't feel any less like a D&D game. Like, they're still obviously playing Dungeons & Dragons. There's still choices being made here, but... It is definitely more directed than I remember Campaign 2 being, and I know Campaign 3 is. Like, this is a very, you know, point-to-point -point adventure, which I think, as showcased here, is perfectly fine and a perfectly valid way to run D&D and can result in a really awesome couple of games. I think this is especially poignant if you're doing a one-shot or a mini-campaign, because, again, you got places to be, right? So, yeah, that's the main lesson I took from this and the main lesson that I would learn uh, from this game. Because overall, like, I mean, there's obviously things you can learn from Matt Mercer's style and the way he runs his games, plenty of stuff, but honestly, a lot of it is subjective. Like, how theatric are you? do you want to be in your D&D game? How much voice acting do you want to do? How much description do you want to include? Like, those things are going to change how you take inspiration from these games. I want to include all those things because that's where my passion lies. But yeah, I mean, that means I took a lot from from watching uh, these two episodes of Critical Role and just watching Critical Role in general. In summary, I'm really happy with this. I, I wanted to talk about it so badly on this podcast. Like, I plan to do this. I, I, I wanted to do this last week, but then I remembered, like, oh, crap, it's the beginning of the month. I got Q&A slotted for that week. So, you know, we're doing it this week. Obviously, I'm a little late, but hopefully by now it gives more people who want to watch it time to watch it. So, yeah, there you go. There are my thoughts on Critical Role's uh, My Nine Reunion special. Overall, really damn good. And I'm really looking forward to whatever other, like, special content they have in store because it really helps to spice up their schedule. And I'm looking forward to it because this was really great. All right, so next up, we're talking about Baldur's Gate. We're talking about the Baldur's Gate release date, which is really neat. That's cool. We got a release schedule. We got a release window for our good old Baldur's Gate 3 game. Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about because you don't know what this is, Baldur's Gate 3 is a video game. It's a Dungeons & Dragons video game releasing. It's a RPG turn-based style. It's the sequel to a beloved video game franchise. A lot of people learned about Dungeons and Dragons from Baldur's Gate. It was a very beloved video game franchise. It still is. And now the third game's coming out. And it's been in early access for a hot minute. It's been in early access, I think since 2020. I, you might, I might be wrong on that. But we did get a release month, a release window for the full game. And it's August of 2023, which is 
whew, that's a long ways away, which also, by the way, could be completely delayed. And I would understand why Baldur's Gate 3 is looking to be a very large video game. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, if you're a Baldur's Gate enthusiast, Crispy, how much have you been keeping up with Baldur's Gate? And it's, you know, it's uh, it's pre-release. How, mu how, how much have you kept up with all the pre-releases? I haven't. That's the answer. I have not been almost in any capacity. I am not a pre-release fanatic, especially for games that I'm not into, not enthusiastic. Not to say I don't care about Baldur's Gate. I do. I am looking forward to Baldur's Gate 3. But in the past, I haven't really played much Baldur's Gate. I haven't played much in the Baldur's Gate franchise. And honestly, in terms of D&D video games, I basically play none of them. You know, I didn't play Neverwinter, the MMO. I didn't play um, Darkest Dungeon, which... Um, I don't remember if that's the name or or was it called that Dungeons and Dragons Dark something? It was a really bad oh Dark Alliance I think. I didn't play Dark Alliance, which is probably it was rated like one of the worst video games of that year, which is amazing. <laughs> Not, but it was it was uh it was quite a rough experience. So honestly, my enthusiasm for Baldur's Gate 3 is kind of like tempered right now. I think it's going to be good. Like right now the pre-release looks really solid, but I just haven't been really been keep uh, words are hard. I haven't really been keeping up with what's going on with the game other than the fact that it is still a thing and that it is still in development and that the developers are working on it, which is really cool. I like seeing developers being good at their jobs and it looks like they're doing a good job here. Um, I am happy that we have a release window, though again, this could totally get delayed because video games are really hard to make. Frankly, it's a miracle that any of them are good because holy hell, you're, when you're making a video game, you're, it's like you're patching holes every two damn seconds. It's, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> like, um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if the game is delayed. And if, if it needs to be delayed so it doesn't release in a patchy state, then good. Because... Dark Alliances, that D&D game I mentioned earlier, it could have used delay. I think that was released in 2021, and good God, it was so bad. I think it was also one of the first games that my friend got for his PS5, and we played it together, and it was truly a horrendous experience. The game was not complete by any means. Bugs galore. And even without the bugs, like, the game is just not very good. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, it's not winning any awards for me in terms of, like, oh, yeah, this is a really fun game. I mean, hell, in 20, by 2021, if I'm remembering the release date right, which I might not be, but, you know, it released in the 2020s. It released recently, so, you know, there you go. But, yeah, Darkest Dungeon, which is, again, the previous D&D game, that I had experience with, it, okay, it released in a window with a lot of beat-em-up experiences and, and RPG and action games in general, and it had the audacity to be painfully average, which, look, being average doesn't sound too bad in a lot of scenarios, but when you're a video game releasing in a window where there's a lot of action games going on, like, by that point, I had played so much God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, you know, uh, and I think Hyrule Warriors had also just come out, uh, uh, Age of Calamity, and then Darkest Dungeon comes out, my friend gets it, I have limited experience with the game, and it's just so robotic and painfully stilted in terms of gameplay. And then, of course, it's buggy as hell. 
All of this combined and is just a really rough product. And it was part of like the push for like new Dungeons and Dragons media. Like this was part of like that push for like Dungeons and Dragons outside of just the books. And this was like one of the first pieces of that I experienced. And I was just like, holy hell, what happened? You know, by that point, I think I had also seen Legends of Vox Machina, which gave me hope that D&D could live in other mediums. But I mean, Legend of Vox Machina isn't even like a freaking D&D approved property. You know, they can't even use the name Vecna in there because they're not approved, which sucks because, you know, I'm seeing Legend of Vox Machina, you know, a technically D&D thing. And then I look over at the official D&D thing, a video game that is just not good, not good at all. But yeah, so what I'm trying to say here is that Darkest Dungeon sucked and Baldur's Gate, I really hope knocks it out of the park because D&D could really use it, especially in the video game space. Like, damn, I mean, Neverwinter has gone down the MMO uh, Dungeons and Dragons Neverwinter has gone down the deep end of not being good anymore. (laughs) Um, I have not played it in a long time and even when I did play it again very 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 limited experience like to the point where you know I tell people that I don't play any Dungeons Dragons video games because I don't you know the ones I have experience with is super limited and when I tried playing it it was so chock full of BS microtransactions like I remember like you had to buy Metallic Dragonborn for like an absurd amount of money and I remember it wasn't just a skin you know it's not like I'm buying like some armor ornaments in Destiny I'm, I'm buying like a straight up bonus to my to my to my character like it's a better race like the the metallic dragonborn that sounds terrible by the way the metallic dragonborn race is so much better than like the normal everyday you know default race options racial options for your character and you have to buy it for an absurd amount of money i'm just like why why is this a thing now, of course, I could be remembering wrong because, again, it was a long time ago. I think Josh Drive Hayes made a really good video about um, about Neverwinter and its decline. And, you know, it obviously sucks in a game like that declines. But it has not really recovered, at least to my knowledge. And now we're looking at, we're looking at a year where the only D&D games that are, like, active right now or that have been released recently or are currently active are just... Either cash grabs in the case of Neverwinter or buggy messes in the case of um, Darkest or Dark Alliance. And we have, you know, we do have some gems. Uh, There's an, I cannot remember its name for the life of me, but there is an an arcade game that got re-released on Steam, I believe by Konami. It's a Dungeons & Dragons arcade game that is really, really good. And I'm going to pull it up right now because if you want a Dungeons & Dragons video game and you... um, and you don't... Oh, God, where is it? I I really hope I can... Shadow Over Mistara. There we go. Shadow Over Mistara. That's the name of it. It's on Steam right now in, like, a bundle. It's an old-school arcade beat-em-up in the style of Dungeons & Dragons. And damn, it's really good. <laughs> like, it's really, really good. I think that's the only game in the D&D world that I've played even somewhat extensively. I don't think I ever beat it, and I need to. I need to do it. Like, I need to just get off my butt and and beat the game. Because, I mean... It's a perfect time right now because I just beat Ragnarok and I need to play another game. But that game is really good. But that game is also really old. And it's not exactly on the top of people's minds right now. So, like I said before, Baldur's Gate needs to knock it out of the park or at least be good. 
Like, I'm not even aiming for, like, 9 out of 10 great. Just be good. Like, 7 out of 10 good. We need a W here in the D&D video game world. Like, obviously, I know a lot of people don't care about D&D video games. Honestly, I kind of don't, you know, because D&D, to me, is the tabletop game. Like, I play the tabletop game Dungeons & Dragons. But video games help to introduce people to this hobby. You know, like, a lot of people came to D&D. I got tons of stories from friends who came to D&D because of Neverwinter. They learned about Dungeons & Dragons and WotC from Neverwinter. And so, or not Neverwinter, <laughs> fuck. Well, Neverwinter too, I'm sure, but Baldur's Gate is what I was trying to aim for. A ton of my friends learned about D&D from Baldur's Gate. And seeing, like, the Dungeons & Dragons logo on the package, they checked it out, and they're like, whoa, what is this? They had never even heard of a tabletop role-playing game before. And I think that's really cool. And I really hope that more people get that experience through a game like Baldur's Gate, which, you know, if it's really, really good, that could that could top the charts. Baldur's Gate is an established IP. A lot of people know what it is. It's a very famous turn-based RPG. And I really hope it could introduce more people to this medium because, I mean, D&D is really freaking popular, but I want it to be more popular. I love this game, and I want more people to experience it, as many people as possible. So, yeah, I mean, I really hope this game succeeds. Uh, the Game Award, I believe it, what the release window was announced at the Game Awards. That's where I heard about it anyway. I'm sorry that my memory is so foggy and that my words are really not great right now because it's kind of late at night when I'm recording this. I wanted to get like a late night tavern vibe, but it's just ending up with me being really tired and not knowing how to speak English, which is great. That's awesome. <laughs> so I I am sorry about that. I was trying to look back at my recording software to check that the audio is is good, but it's not moving with the time like it's staying at the beginning of the of this spectrogram so i'm like well great thanks audacity really cool so hopefully i don't have to throw out all this footage but yeah anyway the uh <laughs> the the game awards in general that's where i heard about all of this and yeah they were really good i mean obviously the Baldur's gate announcement was what caught my eye because i'm a DD channel but there was a ton of announcements there and a ton of really awesome trailers you know we got hades 2 which made me scream. I was screaming, because that is really hype. We got a new Lightfall trailer for Destiny, which as a Destiny fan, I'm really excited for. You know, we have uh, our Horizon Forbidden West uh, DLC, which is pretty cool. Looks like we're going to be fighting a big kaiju-sized monster, which, yeah, about freaking time. And in general, I thought it was a really good showing. Obviously, Baldur's, Baldur's Gate is what caught my eye. And seeing a release window for that game, I think that's really cool. I think it's about time, or at least, you know, it is time that we have a little bit more... Uh, concrete knowledge about when this game's coming out i see a lot of people are excited for it i'm excited for it too i definitely will play it when it comes out and i guess in a year you'll be seeing my review of the new Baldur's gate game but yeah there's my discussion of Baldur's gate its release date and you know my tangent to all the other DD games and the successes and the not so successes that have come of those ventures but yeah moving on Alright, took a quick water break, but we're going to be doing some voicemails. Very exciting. <laughs> so, first voicemail. So, I've always had this one problem. I'd love, I guess, some advice on it. I always get that one person in my game who either the game is not their jam, or it's not the genre they like, or they're a problem player, or something. Usually they're a friend. And I try and make the game work for them. And because I'm trying to work the game around them and make it work for them, everything else falls apart. And what has been good games have just dumpster fired. I had the the player who he had leave for a while. And then when 
he came back, somebody had been playing his character with his permission, and when he came back, it's like, oh, hey, can I play this character and you make a new one? He's like, yeah, sure. And it was not okay. He absolutely, you know, slow burned my game, sabotaged everything, and had problems with everything. Or the other player where uh, we were running, everything was great, and they were a prospect for a boyfriend running game, and <laughs> after after the game started, they're telling me, oh, I hate time travel games, I hate time loops, I hate uh, things that don't, don't fit in the wall, and, and I hate the, the main characters that are the only chosen heroes, and I'm thinking like, oh shit, that's literally the plot of my entire game, and you hate all of that? Crud, and I tried to fix it and ruined the game for the whole group. That's a lot. Um, so I will say this, look, not every game is going to be for every person. And I think we all need to be more okay with that. Just being the fact of life. Like you can't make a game that appeals to everybody. Like, look, I'm going to be really honest with you guys. I think I'm a good freaking DM, but I think a lot of people would not enjoy my games and that's okay because my games are made for my players. You know, that's why when I, that's why it took so long for me to start recording D&D and playing with people that weren't in my bubble. That's why I did the campaign diary for my home game instead of doing like a streamed game like Shadow over Karakonos because I wasn't certain people would take to my style very well because I do run D&D different from a lot of DMs and that's okay. You know, everyone's got their own style and everyone does their own thing. And that's what session zero is for. I just had a dude giving me a lot of grief for saying that you need a session zero, but I don't really give a shit. You need a session zero, okay? You really need a session zero. You need it because it helps to prevent stuff like this. Now, I'm not trying to say that the dude on the voicemail did not have a session zero. I think that you just have a lot of players who just don't listen to them. And by the way, if you're not having session zero, well, then there's your problem. You need session zero. But if you are running session zero and you are communicating these things to the players and they're just not listening and, you know, coming to you after the fact while you're still writing the campaign to say, hey, could you change everything? That's just not going to fly. Like, I'm honestly, I'm, I, I say this with, like, all the love I can, but, I mean, that's the kind of thing where you got to let the player go and walk your separate ways. Not because they're a terrible person or a that guy or a problem player. It's just because they want a different game. Like, if you're running a time travel game and the guy doesn't like time travel, well, I'm sorry, but that guy's got to play a different game. I mean, you're running a time travel game. That's what your game's about, and that is the way it's going to be. If time travel is a central aspect to your game, there's nothing wrong with that guy walking away. It doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you want to play different things, you know? Like, my games are really... I mean, I really hate saying this because I feel like I, I haven't earned it, I guess. But my, my combats, my combats, I have been told, are very difficult. And I understand that it's not going to be for everybody. And, you know, that's why when I am setting up my cast for a streamed game, I make sure, like, that's one of the first things I say. Like, hey, I've had players who tell me my combats are really hard. Are you okay with that? You know? Uh, I want them to be thrilling, both for the players and especially for the audience, and that's my priority. My priority is making things thrilling by making them seemingly extremely deadly, you know? And that's not going to be everyone's jam, and that's okay. And if it's not their jam, we'll walk our separate ways. I think the problem here comes from players who, yeah, sometimes they just think that they can, like, push through. You know, they, they think that, like, oh, yeah, I don't like this thing, but I might like it here. Because a lot of people want to play Dungeons & Dragons. They want to play this game really, really badly. But, guys, it's not worth it to play a game that you're not going to like. And it's especially not worth it to try and convince the DM to change everything on the fly just because, like, you, the one person, don't like this 
Sorry, I'm getting a spam call again in the middle of my show. Can they leave me alone for one damn, <laughs> one damn hour, please? Come on. But yeah, um, it's not, it's it's not a good idea to try to convince your DM to change everything on the fly. You know, that's something for obviously if. If you have a request, you need to make it before the game. And some requests are going to be valid. Like, look, if I got an arachnophobic player, you know, I'm probably going to just not include big spiders in my game because, honestly, big spiders aren't really pivotal to any plots in any game I've ever run. You know, I use them, but do I need to? No. So if somebody before a game tells me, like, hey, I'm arachnophobic, don't include big spiders, I'll be like, okay. And then we move on with our lives. You know, I don't include big spiders. If I'm running an Underdark Loth campaign, obviously... Not including big spiders, a hell of a lot less feasible, right? And in that case, we walk our separate ways and I think no more about it because there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with two people playing two different games because they want two different things out of said games. So yeah, I hope that helps you out. You know, I, I, I hope that didn't come off as like, as like too mean, but you know, this is a topic that I've, that I've become very, um, not frustrated with, but that's been ingrained in my mind because I see it so often in D&D. I see it so often in D&D where people think that there's like a uniform way to play Dungeons and Dragons when there isn't. If you want time travel in your game, that's awesome. Yeah, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I hope you find players, but you should be able to find players that want that as well. And you don't need to trade out everything just because, you know, one player didn't communicate to you that's not what they want in their games when you told them, or at least you hopefully told them at session zero, you know. It's just a topic that's been trod over a lot, so I'm sorry if I sound frustrated. I don't mean to, but yeah, there you go. There's my advice. Hope that helped you out. Oh, okay. Um, so, hi. <laughs> um, I figured I would probably try sharing this uh, here because I'm trying to share it in as many places as possible. Uh, kind of looking to get a little bit of assistance uh, with this player that I have in my IRL group that I play with that is becoming a problem player. Uh, so, we'll call him River. And he has this weird tendency to have the issue of just wanting to roll his dice until he gets the results that he wants, which is not how Dungeons and Dragons works. And he also has a tendency to, I don't know if this is just him in character or if this is him out of character, but he really likes to instigate a fight and then say that he was not the one responsible for it. Uh, it's, it's just some weird stuff. Uh, hopefully some people kind of know how to help with this issue. He definitely has some winner mentality saying things like he wants to play the strongest race and he wants to play the strongest class, which that doesn't really exist in Dungeons and Dragons unless you have a winner's mentality. So yeah, let me know if you know how to help. Bye. Smells like bitch in here. <laughs> Not the collar. <laughs> Rivers sounds very frustrating. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, there are many other ways I could have said that that were less rude, but... So yeah, that's very frustrating, and I'm sure this guy is not totally horrible but and obviously not the worst thing we've ever heard ever on this channel we've heard much worse but damn that is really really annoying i mean let's start off with the whole rolling dice until you just get what you want thing that's unacceptable don't let them do that all right D, &D half the point of this damn game is the is the chance the risk sometimes you're just gonna fail and there are absolutely times where i'm where i as a dm see my players fail a dice roll and i am just like damn it 
I really wish you just lied. <laughs> that, that sounds terrible. But like, I want them to succeed. Like, there are definitely times in combats where they're really struggling and they just get screwed over by bad dice. And I'm just like, God damn, this really sucks. But at the end of the day, that's part of the game. You know, there's a, you know, obviously, you know, the fact that I wish. Like, I wished, uh, you know, they would succeed on those roles, but the fact they failed, that's part of what makes this game thrilling. That combat wouldn't have been, that the combat that I'm referring to here, wouldn't have been nearly as crazy if they just succeeded all the time, right? Like, failure's part of this game, and just rolling over and over and over again, you know? That's just, it's antithetical to what D&D is about. There's no point to playing this game if you're just going to win all the time. Like, I've talked to, I have plenty of friends who don't play Dungeons & Dragons. And obviously, like, when we're talking about work, Dungeons & Dragons comes up. And those people understand, who've never played the, this game before, those people completely understand why cheating would be absolutely idiotic. And why chance and failure are important to this game. And they've never even played before. So clearly this guy just doesn't understand what D&D is about. And yeah, like you said, he clearly has some kind of winner's mentality. No, I do disagree. There are absolutely classes in D&D that could be defined as... I just touched the mic, so if I made a really loud, super annoying noise, I'm sorry. My bad. But yeah, there are absolutely classes in this game that could be considered super strong. I wouldn't say there is a single strongest. That would be kind of up for debate, but there are definitely, like, tiers of strongest in Dungeons & Dragons. But most people just don't really give a shit because most people are just trying to create a good story with their buddies. And our buddy River here, Rivers, whatever, is not trying that. He just wants to be the best around, which, you know, in some games is okay, but in other games, like, no, that's not great. And in D&D, you're playing a group game. You're playing with a team. You're supposed to be good together. Competing with your teammates, I don't know many times where that works out for you. In D&D and in other social situations, competing with the people that you're working with actively, trying to take them down so you can put yourself up, that's just going to be a recipe for utter disaster. This isn't going to work out for you. And... Rivers is just acting very, not, I almost said irresponsible, but just very dickheaded-ish. Very mean. Don't like it. Um, oh, what was the other, th there was, there was one other thing I was going to talk about. Like, there was, there was so much in that story. The main thing that, that, you know, that I was frustrated about was, of course, the, um, the rolling your dice over and over and over again. I think you qualified that as a weird thing. It's not a weird thing. That's just unacceptable. You can't, don't, I, I assume that you didn't let him do that, which... Good move. Not great. Oh, right. Yes, I remember now. The instigating. Instigating fights. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's his character or his player. His, he made that character, and if he made the character to instigate fights and generally be a dick to everybody and derail the campaign in every way and generally make it harder to play the game, he should change his character or make a different character, etc., etc., etc. Right? You made that character. It doesn't matter if the character would do this. You made them up in your head. They are fake. The character doesn't exist. You made them. You can make them in a different way so that they don't ruin the game for the other players, right? It doesn't really matter if instigating the fights is his character or his player. Clearly, you as a player, and I don't know this, but maybe the other players as well, think that that's not being very great for the campaign. You know, instigating those fights is derailing the story, making it harder to play, etc., etc., etc. And, you know, it's making the game less fun doesn't matter if it's his character or his player. It's making the game less fun and needs to stop. In general, all of this stuff combined, I would say not worth keeping this player around, especially if they're not going to change. Of course, I'm not, I don't want to advocate for instant kicks, you know. Everyone should have the chance to play this game. But Rivers had his chance. And he's not only ruining it for himself by cheating on dice rolls and generally being a dick to other players and losing out on the experience of working with a team, but he's also ruining it for that team, for his party. And that is not acceptable.
Hi, Crispy. Uh, just wanted to say thank you so much for this opportunity, and um, I really love your channel. Um, I guess my situation is less of a RPG horror story and more of an am I the asshole situation. Um, I used to be a part of a small group of friends who played D&D, but over time I actually found a new group of players and friends to play Curse of Strahd with, and I've been happily playing with this group for over two years now. Um, they're some of my best friends. Um, but I still have two really close friends from this old group, and they excitedly told me that they were also playing Curse of Strahd, and that they both made level 3 characters specifically for the introduction to Barovia. Um, where the issue kind of comes in is that the DM for that group decided on a whim to run Lost Minds of Phandelver before Curse of Strahd and starting at level 1, without consulting all of the players first. Like, it's not a big issue if they had told everyone, but they only told a few, and my friends felt as though they had no say in the matter, and now their characters really don't make sense for this campaign. And I got mad on their behalf and started arguing with the DM because it felt like no one was really taking their side or listening to them. Um, in the end, that game never actually ended up happening, but am I the asshole for getting mad at this DM for a game I'm not even in? Um, thank you for the opportunity if you do happen to answer this one, and looking forward to your video. I answered it. So, um, this this is this is a good question, and I'm really glad you asked this. So, for starters, you're right. You're 100% right. This DM did a bad move, all right? Bad form, not good DM. I don't know why people aren't defending your friends more, because... I mean, yeah, that is really frustrating. Like, I'm always going on and on and on. Pre-game is important. Session zero is important. Imagine if you had session zero, you did everything, you did a pre-game, you talked to the players about their, their characters and what they need to do, you told them they're gonna, you're going to run Curse of Strahd. Like, that's the bare minimum of a pre-game, of a session zero. The bare minimum is saying, hey, here's what we're going to play. And you fail at the bare minimum. Not only do you fail, but it would be better if you just didn't tell them at all. You just, so you told them and you lied. You just changed into Lost Minds of Phandelver, which, yeah, no, unacceptable. Don't do that. As a DM, you need to be in open communication with your players, especially if it was kind of implied that the DM, they communicated with the other players about this, but not your friends, which, no, not good. That just showcases that some players are, I mean, Obviously, I can't read the DM's mind, so this may not be true. But from an outside-looking-in perspective, it does look like the DM prioritized some players over other players. And I'm sure that your friends, maybe, I don't know, felt that way because they didn't get this information while other people did. Not great. You're supposed to all be equals in this group. And yeah, the DM basically, you know, uh, doing a bait-and-switch on the players with the bare minimum of Session Zero stuff which is telling them like the campaign that they're supposed to be playing and then switching that campaign to something completely different. I mean, I wouldn't say Lost Minds of Fendelver and Barovia are on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they certainly are on the same end, let me tell you. Those are very different campaigns. And if you made your characters, words are hard, if you made your characters uh, for Barovia specifically, it's really weird to be suddenly dropped into Fendelver, you know? So yeah, I think that that is not great. Now, in terms of are you the asshole for getting mad at your DM for a game you're not even in? I don't know the full context of the situation. I personally do not appreciate when people get mad for me. I'm not a very angry person. And when people do things on... Sorry, I heard a car engine. I hope you didn't hear that. But when people do things on my behalf, sometimes it can come off like they don't think I have agency. And that really... That does annoy me. Now, of course, this is me. 
crispy speaking. Obviously, I'm not your friend, so I don't know how they would take this. I'm trying to talk from your friend's perspective, but that's a flawed perspective because I'm not your friend. I don't know how they feel about this sort of thing. I know that personally, I would not be, I wouldn't be angry at you if you did that. Like, I'm, I wouldn't be angry at somebody who stands up for me, right? That would be kind of stupid. But, you know, I would tell them like, hey, next time, at least ask me before you get mad. You know, ask me before you confront someone. Ask me before you have that conversation because I want some input on this. You know, this is my problem. And usually I want to deal with my own issues and generally find that when other people do that for me, it can make things more complicated, right? Again, I don't know the full context of the situation. I don't know your friends. So I don't know you know, how they felt about this. Hell, I mean, you may have even asked them and you just didn't have time to say it in the one minute, 30 second voicemail, you know? So that is totally possible. Again, I don't think you are the asshole here. The DM did this and the DM did something that's really bad. Now, should you have gotten mad on your friend's behalf? That's the part where I'm like, okay, I don't know. That obviously depends on your friends. For me, I would say try to avoid that, you know, ask, at least ask your friends first, like ask your friends, Hey, do you mind if I have this conversation with this person? Because you never know what could happen or how that would affect their dynamic with this dungeon master. Of course, if the dungeon master is some random Joe Schmo off the internet. Well, then the uh, circumstances are a little bit looser. If it's somebody that they know, well, then it's a little bit more complicated. Again, I don't know the full context. I do not know the full context of the situation. So I don't want to like give a judgment on that part of it. But in terms of did the DM do something wrong and should you have told him off? Probably, yeah. This DM did do something wrong. This DM did screw over your friends. And this DM doesn't seem very good at their job because, I mean, come on, guys. Communicating what campaign you're playing, that's the bare freaking minimum. You gotta do that, guys. So please, in the future, if you're a dungeon master out there, make sure to at least do that. All right, you need to do a lot of other things, but that's like the first step, guys. Come on. Come on, what are you doing? But yeah, good question. I'm really glad you asked that. And yeah, I hope your friends find a good Curse of Strahd game to put those characters in because I think they deserve it. Hey, Crispy. Um, thank you for hearing me out. I have an issue of always listening and talking things out and not putting my foot down when it needs to be. I still want to talk things out, and I'm not saying I should stop it, but I really need to realize when that's not going to work after the fifth time, people are going to have to go. The issues are sometimes, you know, covered by, oh, I have issues at home and I'll be better. And I'm realizing they weren't getting better. They were just being covered up and only coming back out as a new issue, if not a bigger issue. Um... I still have my old party, and they say they're still having a great time, but if I keep on inviting new players, I want to try and be a more fair judge, I guess, because while I still want to talk it out, I need to know when and where I need to say, hey, you gotta go. I know it's not easy, and as a DM, I need to take that responsibility, but it's just really hard. And any advice you could give me would really help me. Uh, thanks again for having me out. Uh, have a great day. Thanks. Hope you have a good day, too. So, yeah, obviously this is uh, a symptom of the unfortunate position that DMs find themselves in. Something that I kind of wish were not the case, but is the case. You are in a leadership position when you're a dungeon master. And that means you need to deal with leadership responsibilities, including kicking someone off the island, so to speak. 
And that sucks. You know, as a dungeon master, you're signing up to run a game. You're not signing up to handle social situations, right? A lot of people don't think of that when they when they sign up to be a DM. When they tell you their their group, like, hey, I want to run a game. I want to run a world. I want to I want to take you guys through an awesome story. I want to show you guys some epic moments. I want to create a story we're gonna remember for our lives. And you know, often the part of oh, this is a group of people and I need to lead this group of people is not something that comes up because, yeah, you're going to play a game. But unfortunately, yeah, I mean, that social dynamic does exist. It sucks, but it does exist. And that's part of the reason why I started this channel because when I was a DM, I had no idea how the hell to do that. Now, in terms of how do you kick someone out, I am literally the worst person to ask for that because the couple times where I had to do this, I failed. You know, I failed. I, I couldn't do it because... Because I, yeah, I felt what you felt. I felt the the pressure, you know. Even when it got really bad, like I, what I did was I ended the game because at that point I just wasn't feeling like running it. I took a break, and then when I started the game up again, I just didn't invite the person back. There was never a moment where I was like, "You are no longer playing my game." I never walked up to them and said, "You are never playing in my game." Now, frankly, I don't even think that that person deserved that from me because they were really terrible. But, I mean, that's, you know, that's another song and dance for another time. The point is that I, I'm not a great person to ask for that, but I will give the best advice I can. You just have to put your foot down and do it. You know, after the fifth time, yeah, that's that's the point where you need to say, like, no, this is not okay. And, of course, like, part of the pressure that comes with it is, like, that you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're alone as a dungeon master in wanting, not just as a DM, but as a leader, in wanting to get rid of this person because they are hurting your game or they're hurting you or they're hurting the party, whatever. And I think part part of what helped me to even just, you know, not invite the person back was knowing that the other players shared my sentiments. I talked to them about this. Like, I told them, like, hey, so-and-so is not coming back. And they all were like, thank God. This is good. Thank you. You know, this is this is going to make the game better. That made me feel better about that decision. You know, talking to the other players, you know, hearing what they have to think, not just for validation, but also to hear their side of the story, because maybe those players don't want this person gone. Maybe they want them to stick around. You don't know. You know, maybe this that you want you need another perspective. Right. I don't know what this person is doing and I don't know like what their problem is. Again, one minute, 30 second voicemail. But um, I will say that. My general response to people going like, hey, I've got this this stuff going on. It's been really hard, you know. I'll be better next time. Dude, that, that shit works on me like maybe like once. And then after that, it just it feels manipulative because it is. I don't like that. I really do not appreciate it. Cannot exaggerate enough how annoyed I get when people do that to me. It doesn't matter if it's in person or if it's in voicemail. Like, look, I, I empathize, you know? I feel issues going on wherever, at work, at home, financially, socially. I get that. You know, I feel those issues too. Frankly, everyone does. I don't use those as, as excuses to hurt other people, right? If there's a person at your table who's causing issues, and I know hurt other people sounds really, like, up there, but in truth, like, even in a D&D game, you gotta remember, this is a social gathering. And when you're in a social gathering, a social situation with other human beings, absolutely you can hurt each other's feelings. I mean, geez, like think of high school bullies. I mean, you're just talking to each other, right? But, I mean, they absolutely hurt other people. When you're bullying someone, that hurts, right? And if you are playing at a DD and d table and someone's being hurtful, it is a hurt. They are hurting other people. And that means that their excuses, you know, they mean less and less as they go on, right? Like, those kind of excuses... 
they will never not feel manipulative to me. You know, even if I get it, even if I know they're telling the truth, I mean, I still will be very hesitant to accept. And I may not even accept it all, probably won't accept it all just because, you know, I felt that kind of manipulation, you know, I felt that sort of vibe, not just, not just in D&D, obviously, but in a lot of other places. And it feels bad. It feels bad when you are being hurt by somebody in some way, shape or form. And then they turn around and are like, no, no, there's this thing going on. You don't understand. Like, you just need to let give me another chance. I'll be better next time. And then you give them that next time. And then they just, just do the same thing again. No, absolutely not. You know, that sort of thing is unacceptable to me. I hate that. Uh, but obviously, like, hating something and then actually doing something about it, those are way different ball games. you know? They're not just a hop, skip, and a jump away from each other. It's a whole leap and bounds thing, right? So... I really wish you luck in, in the situation. I, I just think you need to let them go. I think over text is honestly the best way to do it. Just telling them like, hey, look, you are not going to be staying at this game anymore. We have had this conversation multiple times and it's not working out. I'm sorry, but it's not working out. Uh, something that I, that I have said in the past in similar situations is it is what it is. I hold no malice towards you, but I am not rushing to let you back into my home to play my game either, you know? It is what it is. And and yeah, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. You just need to let the player go. Uh, eventually, you just need to put your foot down. I, it sucks because I have to say, just do it. Like, I have no other words of wisdom for you there. But sometimes you just have to just do it over text, over call, whatever makes you most comfortable. But sometimes you just have to do it. That last bit got a little bit more grim than I anticipated you know so maybe sorry about that but that's the nature of a rambly unscripted podcast you uh you never know where it's gonna take you so anyway that is the end of voicemails and also probably the end of the show and by probably i mean definitely because we're ending the show right now so yeah if you guys enjoyed this episode of Tavern Adjacent, please do leave a like. If you want to see more of my content, then you can check out RPG Horror Stories, where we tackle the best of the worst of Dungeons & Dragons. And while you're there in the cards, subscribe to Crispy Tavern, get more of our content as it comes out. And by the way, in the description and in the pinned comment, you can leave your voicemails so that you have the chance to be featured on the show and get some advice from yours truly. Will it be good advice? I don't know, but I'll try my best. And finally, if you are interested in the comments, uh, head down into the comments down below where you can give me your own thoughts and tips and answers to these voicemails i don't know what you might do down there but uh, yeah also if you can't think of a comment leave the comment reunion to let me know you made it to the end of the video Next, like comment subscribe i will see you all next time farewell mm -hmm.